Welcome to Book Pile Banter. This is Amber Lee with Sarah and Kim. Today we are going to discuss The Ocean at the End of the Lane, which is by Neil Gaiman and was published in 2013 by William Morrow and Company. And this story was written for his wife, who does not like really like fantasy, per quote, and inspired by real-life events of his father's car being stolen and a suicide being committed in the car, although we were able to determine that Gaiman did not actually come across the body like in the story. No, he did not. So, the plot of the story is the narrator the narrator of the story reflects back on a forgotten childhood memory about the time that an opal miner stole his father's car and committed suicide. Our narrator meets Letty Hemstock, who will help him um, overcome the new tenant Ursula Montauk. Montauk. Yeah. So, and we actually, we're combining this with one of our Patreon features today. Um, it was not as successful as we were hoping it would be. But for our book club level, we try to come up with recipes and drinks to try um, so that people have foods for it. So we actually did the lemon pancakes that are mentioned in the story. And then Gaiman, at the end of the electronic book, he does an interview with somebody and they published in there and... The, the interviewer asked for the recipe and he provided it. I thought that was cool. Yeah. So we're all, and then our drink, we have both about alcoholic and non-alcoholic versions. So it is a pomegranate mimosa. Um, the non-alcoholic one, are, this time it actually has apple cider or cider in it, sparkling cider in it, but it's supposed to be sparkling white grape juice. Um, and then the alcoholic version has, you're going to make me say an Italian sparkling wine that I don't know how to say Prosecco? Prosecco. Prosecco. So. Assuming that's correct. What do we all think of the drinks? And and, and pomegranate juice. Yes, and pomegranate juice in both of them. Yes. I love the drink. So, I've had several. (laughs) Sarah? It's pretty good. Okay. I know you're not a big, like, fruit drink Person. I'm gonna eat this. I like apple cider. Let's move on. Sparkling cider. Um, and I do like pomegranate drinks, so okay, cool. Yeah, and then I like it too. I was the one who found it. So now we are trying the lemon pancakes, which are kind of like a crepey style pancake with uh sugar sprinkled on it, lemon juice squeezed all over it, and then rolled like a cigar. So we're all gonna take a second, take a bite. I like it. It's kind of weird. The lemon, the initial taste makes me think of maple syrup. And then the lemon kind of like comes through a little bit more the more you chew on it. You don't get maple syrup in this at all. Oh, I, my initial bite with that. Maybe I got a big pile of sugar. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? It's interesting. I don't know if I would, if I was making another one. Slash if I was ever making one, because I did not make this. Um, I don't know if I would put the lemon in. I don't know that it adds to it. It's like a separate flavor entirely, so I don't know. Well, I can say that the, the, the pancake itself has like, it has no flavor. There's no flavor. To it, it is literally flour, eggs, there's sugar well, It tastes like there. a sweet pancake. Yeah. 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 Because of the sugar, obviously, and sweetness. But... but- the I mean, one it does thing have that, that pancake taste to it. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that Gaiman said about these, because these are more crepey than pancakey, but they're referred to as pancakes in there. So an American pancake will absorb whatever you put onto it. So maple syrup or... Yeah. These will not. So yeah. The flavors just kind of sit on top. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. All right. So if we are chewing, we apologize. So moving into the book, Sarah, what did you think of the book? I liked it. Okay. Just that's your initial, I liked it. Any, any more to that? Any deeper thoughts? Any deeper um, thoughts? Going to give you well, something to work with here? To be honest, I have read three books since then. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> my memories of the book are perhaps faint. Um, <laughs> Given the book, that's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like the narrator, my memories have faded pretty much as soon as I close the book. Um, but no, I thought it was really good. I mean, I like Neil Gaiman, so I wasn't that surprised that I enjoyed it. I kind of was. I didn't think that this one you were going to enjoy. I like his writing. 
Um, I did. You said he wrote it for his wife who doesn't like fantasy. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, I did like it as a fantasy book. I thought the fantasy elements were really well done. Um, it honestly, it felt like a, what do you call it? Like a, a written version of a Sandman episode. Oh yeah. So like a graphic novel, like yeah. if, if it were a, a novelization of a graphic novelization, novel. That was what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Of just like one of the chapters from that story because yeah. it, it it's had, so had that similar. similar yeah. Um, and it's very immersive too. Like you just, with the narrator. Yeah. You really feel the story. So, cause Kim did hers digitally. Uh, mine was an illustrated edition. Did yours have illustrations or no? no. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of cool. We're going to have three different experiences Experiences here in terms of um, how that may have affected how we read it and experienced it. So, Kim, what did you think? I absolutely loved this book. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Can't give me more than that. <laughs> no, because, I mean, we're going to talk about more. So, you know, if I say everything now, then I don't have anything to say later. Okay. So, yeah, but no. Which this was for anyone who doesn't know. This was Kim's pick because March is her birthday month. Yeah, yeah. So she asked for a Neil Gaiman book, and that is what and one that none of us have read. Yes. Yes. And so that's why we chose the Ocean at the End of the Lane. Yes. Which it is a play too. Is it? Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they turned it into a play. I'd be curious to see how like how they do Ursula. That would be all of it. Like yeah. just like yeah. But we'll get we'll discuss that a little bit more. Yeah. And. I loved it. I am a huge fan of Neil Gaiman. I have Sandman characters tattooed up and down my leg. <laughs> um, I love his writing style. I always tell people the way he writes is how my brain thinks. So what, like, I've never had difficulty visualizing what he's writing, talking, or, you know, understanding what he's talking about. Like, it just... Oh, he's got a skill when it comes to writing that is just one indescribable. I, I'm actually because he does that masterclass. Yeah, that he gets advertised on Instagram if you if you do anything that is remotely what I follow on Instagram. But um, it would be interesting to see what he says in his masterclass to figure out how he teaches people to write this way. Yeah, um, it would be very interesting. But you know, it and and I talked to Amber about this right after I finished the book. You this, know that's cheating. It's cheating. It is. Um, but we do it every time. So you, you think you should just be like, did it. you finish the book? And then you just silently nod at each other. <laughs> and then you walk away, keeping your thoughts inside to discuss. <laughs> to be fair, at the same time, we discuss whether or not we think you will <laughs> like it. We're like, okay, is this going to be a Sarah Likes week? How engaged is she going to be? I'm gonna sh has, she, has she done good reads yet? Yeah. No, she hasn't done good reads yet. We don't know. We don't know. We don't See, know what we're getting. You're giving that away, and now she's never going to do good reads. Well, I know, but that will be funner. So no, it won't. <laughs> but anyway, I was going to say best. what I said to Amber was: if you're a writer and you want to experience other writers, which is what you should do when you're a writer, is you should read other writers. This man, it's a master course. This book is a master course on how to write. The similes are amazing. The visuals are descriptive without being excessive, excessive and burdensome. You don't you don't get so caught up in what he's describing that your brain checks out of the story while you're trying to process the visuals. Yeah, you're able to stay in the story and still engage in the visuals. And they're so concise, yet yeah. so descriptive. I knew exactly what Ursula looked like. Yeah. And she was basically a tent. Yeah. A shapeless tent, but I knew exactly what she looked like. And and he does a really good job of shifting the visuals from one thing to another. I mean, I think of the pond itself. Is, mm -hmm. is you know, we look at the pond and we're being told this is a typical pond. It's not super big. And then he is in it and suddenly it's endless. And, and it's, it's an ocean. And it's an ocean. And, and he there's reflections and there's light and there's... Well, There's this, a wrapping around and, and it suddenly it, it creates that sense of anyone who's ever dived into a body of water that's maybe bigger than they expected it to be. And when you just suddenly feel encompassed, encompassed. And so you can understand why it is an ocean. Yeah. Even though it's a pond, you, well, it's, it's something you can something understand. more than just an ocean because yeah. it's it's restorative. It's human. Yeah. And it can be condensed down to a bucket also. Yeah. Um, and carried around because that was the only way to make the kids safe. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, it, it this, this was pleasurable to read. Yes. And we have read so many books where people try to do these things mm-hmm. and they're just, they're not the same writers. They, no. they, they don't have that skill. And you, I, God, I just, I would love for him to sit down and really talk about where he learned to write. Yeah. Um, but it sounds to me like this is just something that comes to him just very naturally. And, and I don't know well, if it's been teachable. doing it for decades now. Yeah. I mean, 80s. I don't know when the first book he or first comic he published. I know the co- Sandman comics were in the 80s. So that's 30, 30 years now that he has been yeah, writing. You guys were, so say, you guys were comparing this to Sandman. Yeah. So that means in the 80s, he was writing something as comparable as this is yeah. what he's writing now. I just feel like his mind must be a very interesting oh and complex place. I love it because I, I, it's web thinking. I can tell. I can tell it's web thinking. It's how my brain works in terms of thinking. And like, it's amazing. Yeah. I wish I could take the thoughts in my head and actually put them to paper to this skill level. So we've actually seen Gaiman live. Because he, they did a, where was the cemetery? The Hollywood Cemetery did a special screening of Good Omens when the fir- mm-hmm. for the first two episodes when it came out. So we got Prior to, go to it coming out. Yeah. But yeah, at that time. And we went down and he spoke. And he was talking about Terry Pratchett, who was yeah. dead. And, and another absolutely fucking brilliant writer. Um, but you could see when you were listening, not you could see, you could hear as he talked, that he talks the way he writes. And that's a skill that very few people have. Yes. Yeah. Having that ability to talk and write the same way. Because if you can talk the way you speak, people can understand what you're reading better. Because it, if you talk, if, if you, you write the way you speak, you write the way you speak. Okay, I was like, I, I've had four of these. <laughs> four, five, three, I don't know. But anyway, it, it's a skill. And it's, it's not a skill that very many people have. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, that's my gushing. I loved this book. I loved it. <laughs> so it did remind me of Sandman in terms of like, like context. Um, but I think if I remember correctly, the Hempstock characters are in other stories. Yes, they are. But, I, but yes. in the interview, he says, yes, you have met other Hempstocks, but you haven't met the Hempstocks until this book. And that's these three women. And um, I'm just trying to remember which one they. But yes, he says he says that you have met. They are in Stardust and the Graveyard Book. Um, so I think I've interacted. I've read the Graveyard Book, which is so good. Um, I haven't read Stardust, so. So we had an unexpected pause and I now cannot remember where we were at. I can't either. I have the book. I want to look at the pictures. So, um, okay. So the beginning of the story starts out with the narrator. Does it bother you guys that we never learn the narrator's name at all? I didn't even notice that. Okay. I was trying to remember it this whole time. I'm like, I can't remember. <laughs> Whatever. But, yeah. But, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's more like you're experiencing the story than the character is. So it's not necessary for him to even have a name. It's yeah. interesting. He said when he first wrote the book, the child had a name mm. and then he, as he was going through the revisions and whatnot, he removed it and he said he never had a desire and it, he didn't say what the name was. So we don't, we still don't know yeah. what his name is and it doesn't matter to me. It was, it was kind of, it was Neil Gaiman. It was, his name was probably Neil in my head, but it probably <laughs> wasn't in Neil's head. So, yeah, but yeah, I, I, cause I was, I hadn't processed it. And then I was writing up the plot for this for a little description. I was like, oh, what was that character's name again? And then I'm looking at it like the unknown narrator. I'm like, oh, that's why I can't remember the name. It's an unknown narrator. Um, but I like it cause it does immerse you into it. That was part of why I wasn't sure if you would like it. I was like, oh, is Sarah going to like the whole, this is an entire flashback. No, no narrator well, kind of situation. Yeah, when but flashbacks so are well yeah. done, they are phenomenal. They it works, and it's it's barely been a flashback because the majority of the book is yeah that it's not like it just it's more of like a story within a story. Yeah, and I don't think that all of that story would have had the profound impact it did if we didn't get to the end and realize he doesn't really remember. Only when he comes back, yeah, so the we, ocean. we would have to 
see him before it starts, mm-hmm. realize that there's an unfolding that's happening in his own brain. Yeah. He remembers the entire story, but even within the entire story, he realizes there's bits he doesn't remember. He actually died. Mm-hmm. They actually ripped his heart out of his chest. Mm-hmm. But then the witches, we'll call them witch, I don't know, the hemstocks, yeah. they managed to clip that out of his story and, and keep going and keep him alive. And then he gets to the end and he doesn't remember that he's gone back time and time again. And they yeah. just keep telling him, it's okay. It's okay. You'll come back when you need to again. I'm trying to envision being drawn to a location without understanding and just having to go back. And just having to be there. I think that would drive me nuts. Except for he doesn't know until there's a reason why oh, he yeah. ends up, especially since he's left England. He's, yeah. he's He lives in the United States. Which, again, is kind of a Neil Gaiman thing because Gaiman now lives in the United States. Uh, no, he lives in New Zealand. But that's that's happened recently then. Well, he was in New Zealand because he went to New Zealand or he moved to New Zealand at the beginning of just before COVID. Um, and then he broke oh, New Zealand. He broke oh. New Zealand protocols to go back to the UK. Um, and New Zealand was upset and his neighbors were mad that he came back. Um, so I think he splits his time between New Zealand and the UK. I don't think he actually, like, I'm sure he has somewhere he can live when he's in the States, but he doesn't. Where did you read all of this? Because according to what I'm reading, he lives in the United States. I, I just know that he broke protocol when he was living in New Zealand. And mostly because I thought, I wish I could live in New Zealand. <laughs> okay, so this article says that he's in New Zealand right now. Yes. Okay. To yeah. be with a small boy and his mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... So, but, um, yeah, I thought the idea of going back to a location over and over again would be a little, a little strange to experience. So did you guys have like a favorite character? I liked them all. I didn't even think about it. I appreciated them all. They all had their role in the story, but I didn't really have like a, I don't think I connected with them as I would in like a different kind of book. Interesting. I don't know how to describe that, but it's like, I kind of saw them the way that the narrator saw them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, okay. But yeah, I didn't really have a preference. Fluffy, I really like Letty. <laughs> Poor, dead, fluffy. Is that the, the first black kid? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That, that made me sad right from the start. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And who, who runs over a cat and acts like, oh, well, let me just replace it for you. Yeah, let me give you this this stray old stray horse. I mean, it wasn't even. It was a tomcat, oh, yeah. and they don't like anybody. They're no. wild cats. They're yeah. You don't you don't play with tomcats. Yeah, yeah I was just like, but oh he my got God. a cat in the end. But he didn't get a cat in the end. It's yeah. Like, mm. I know that feeling. We had uh, when uh, we lived in England. We had Minerva and Maxie, and Minerva curled up on my pillow next to me. Every single night. So I like, and I would have been you know, between the ages of 13 and 16 then. So like just a little bit older than this character. Like, if, if you get an animal connection that way in your life, you're you're a lucky, lucky person. Yeah. Not everybody gets it to where. Really, you have a hard time with people. Mm-hmm. And he clearly had a hard time with people. Not that I blame him at all. People are exhausting. Well, and this was a, a wonderful <laughs> writing on introverts. Yes. Also. Because it, there was no judgment in the intro, in, in the introversion. Maybe the parents judged him a bit. Yeah. The dad, I think, had an idea of a different child, a different boy. Yeah. Um, than he ended up with. The fact that books were such a novelty, I can relate to that on such a level. I asked for books from my mother one year for Christmas, and she could not comprehend. She didn't even know how to go to the bookstore and buy me books. She walked up to the person at the bookstore and said, I need, and it was Anne McCaffrey, I need wherever Anne McCaffrey's at. And she literally just bought one of every Anne. Because that's <laughs> what I asked her. I just want these books by this writer. And she literally just took one of each of the books and she made a comment on Christmas about how weird she thought it was that I wanted books for Christmas. And I'm like, what else would I want? This is what I do. This is my life. But she couldn't comprehend it. It was it was devastating to me. So that tells you who buys the Christmas gifts because Oh, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Papa would not have like Oh no, he would have gone and picked out the books. Yeah. He didn't like fantasy. He would have yeah. rolled his eyes at that, but you know, whatever. He just, he understood that 
I got what I got out of books and, and yeah. he didn't care where I got it. Yeah. But he was just happy that I was a reader. But he was a reader too. Yeah, he was a reader too. <laughs> but he liked nonfiction. Not really any type of fiction. Oh no, he, he well, okay, I don't know. Would you consider Angela's Ashes nonfiction? No, that's yeah, that's, that's nonfiction. No, 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 that's nonfiction. That's it's supposed to be biographical. It's Irish nonfiction. Yeah. Which means you gotta really wonder whether the stories are metaphorical but or not. He still favored nonfiction. I yes, don't remember him picking up any fictional books, maybe classics, but not like by choice. Because I think he had a bunch of Hemingway books. Mm. Um, uh, actually, I think those were um, leftover, not leftover. How do I phrase this politely? Because I, I don't want to say anything derogatory about my sibling's father who passed away when they were very young. Those were leftover from when they were his books. And okay. They were in the family. Um, so no, my dad, I don't think liked him anyway. Okay. Well, he's not sure. here. I would call him and ask him, but he's not here. So he's <laughs> passed on. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, no, random. As we I'm often do. Really tired. We've been, um, not Sarah because she's not in the house. Well, we, we've been working on planting gardens all day for the backyard. So, <laughs> Okay. Amber's tired. My brain has been doing math. Um, so I'm trying to think. Like we liked it. We've we've only been talking for 22 minutes, but I feel like every question I'm going to ask you guys is I liked it. Um, so it made me very nostalgic for the childhood in the country English countryside that I never had, but <laughs> felt like I had after reading this book. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, I remember that lane. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah. Which is really funny because I did have kind of that childhood, not the back in the country, but the English mm-hmm. years spent and it did not trigger that sensation to me. I was just like, oh yeah, I know. I know what this looks like. Interestingly, because like I I did roam the neighborhood. We yeah. we uh, half a mile was the closest house and I lived on two and a quarter acres and there was a massive woods back behind those acres and and we wandered everywhere. But the character didn't. Yeah. He didn't wander everywhere. He yeah. had his 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 land that he was on and going down the but he was only 10. Was he 10? Yeah. I think his birthday was at the beginning. I he was, was 10. I thought he was seven or six. She was 11, I think. And she was like oh, four yeah, years he was only Yeah, yeah she, he was, he was only six or okay, seven. Okay, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah he, I just was thinking. His, yeah. I did think that he was a child, obviously, mm-hmm. but he was also much more articulate than I would expect like a seven-year-old to be. Um, I don't think you know very many seven-year-olds. <laughs> I don't, but like, I can't and imagine Rex a... talking like that. Oh, no, Rex... Yeah. Well, Rex, maybe not so much, but I, I tutor kids. And I don't have much experience with children besides. Seven and eight year olds are actually like when they're most eager to talk to you because yeah. they're not self conscious yet. Um, and he just, was a reader. And it is true. He, is, he was a reader. Even at six or seven, he was an av- clearly an avid reader. Yeah. Even though we don't hear any of the, the names of books, but man, he knew poetry. Mm-hmm. And, but it was like, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Who was it? Uh, it was some um, musicals. Yeah, musicals. Yeah, and, and he knew musicals. Rhythmic, yeah, rhythmic poetry. He mm-hmm. clearly was into that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. He was younger, but she was ten or eleven. Um, yeah, but was she ten or eleven, or was she gen- long decades yeah, old? She yeah. just was living in the body of a ten or eleven year old. Yeah, yeah. But um, but also not not as skilled with whatever the hemp stocks did because she made mistakes and yeah. that's what happened and because he kept saying it's my fault it's my fault it's my fault and the mother finally said jenny finally said um she took you in the first place and shouldn't have taken you in the first place so ultimately it wasn't your fault it yeah. was her fault she made a decision that caused all of this to happen not you and then there's i because at the end she says that there's only ever been me the old lady mm-hmm. when she's there and it's like, are these women, is it supposed to be like the crone, the mother? Yeah, 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 yeah. The child? Okay. The maid. Yeah, because yeah, by yeah. the time I got to the end, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I see this all the time in witchcraft books. <laughs> What's really funny is we were talking one of those times and I was like, oh yeah, you know, the maid, the mother, and the crone. And my mom, Kim went, yeah, yeah. 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 She's but, like, I didn't put that together. But until- it goes into the stealing of the Trinity. So religion has t- stolen the Trinity from 
And are they one or are they individual? And that's yeah. the whole thing. It it it's Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It is one. Yeah. Even though it's three. And, and these are the maiden, the, the mother, mother, and the crown. They are one, but they are or sleep yeah. local, depending yeah. on what right. region it is and yeah. how they view it. Yeah. Sometimes they're different faces of the same, like Hecate, <laughs> <laughs> which we talked about last, last week, week, which is why she's <laughs> laughing. Um, <laughs> is a three-faced goddess, so she would fall under the the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Um, and then you have more like the Morgana who is one of them. She's not all of them. Right. Um, so it, but I think in this story, he was clearly going with their three and one. They're, yeah. They're, they are the Holy Trinity. I'm doing yeah. my air quotes. quotes they're, yeah. they're the Holy Trinity, which means they're one. Yeah. But they're, they're three. Yeah. However you resolve that in your brain when it yeah. comes to, um, beliefs what I did like is what I did like as if you did not like other elements. <laughs> I'm flipping you off. So, because these people cannot see it, I am flipping you off. Um, an element I liked also. <laughs> Much is, better phrasing. Well thank done. you. Is when he got to the end and he realized she had always looked the same, but because he was older, she didn't look as old as she used to. Yep. And I... I I've had that experience where I've walked up to a person. I'm like, oh, you seemed so old before. Now you are older, but like you you don't. Yeah. I, I've hit a certain point where that aging just kind of. The gap is, is not as great, even though the gap is still exactly say. what it yeah. was. <laughs> I'm like, I can relate to you better. So now you don't seem so old. Um so I, I enjoyed that when he was like, huh. Particularly when it was, I'm now older than she is. Yeah. Uh, in terms of appearance. I was like, that's got to be weird. I can't imagine like. I want the story where he goes back and I know it's never going to happen because yeah. that's not the story. Where he goes back and she's finally back. Where yeah. Letty is finally back. Yeah. After having sacrificed. Um, and they get to see each other again. We're never going to get that, that story, but no. I really want Assuming it. she would wake up in time. Yeah, yeah, before he dies. But yeah. oh, that would be such a cool story. He's like 95. That's kind of like, you know, Marvel and and, and uh, Captain America coming back, which I yeah. didn't like that component of that story. But um, kind of that would be kind of cool. That would be yeah. a neat little if, if Gaiman was ever willing to write a one off, which, by the way, this was supposed to be somebody asked him to write a story for them. It was, and Amanda, was supposed to be, his wife. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be a short story. Right. Yeah, it was and supposed to be a novella. Short story. Um, it's not a novella, though. Yeah. But then Ursula stepped into the story and suddenly he realized he had an entire book, not just a short, short story. Um, and he couldn't he couldn't stop without writing Ursula's full story, which is interesting. He, yeah. It wasn't the child's story. It wasn't the the, the women's the story. Stocks. Yeah, it was Ursula's story that yeah. he was writing. What else to say? Um, this might be a slightly shorter episode just because, like, I don't. It's perfection. I liked how he did the magic and stuff. Yeah. What do you mean? Um, just like how he handled it. Okay. I especially like the thing where they said that spells were common. They didn't do spells. Because <laughs> um, I do get that feeling when I read other books where they put such emphasis on spells. Or even just rules in general. Mm -hmm. Like some of these books will go into great detail trying to describe how magic works and stuff. You don't get that in here. And, it's and you like, don't need it. You don't need it. And, and you like, don't need it in other books that have done that. It's yeah, just like... It just give, it, Amplifies the sense of like wonder and um, yeah. mysticism mm -hmm. and whatnot. So, but I, I thought it was more effective. I don't know that other writers could as easily tackle that as what he does. What you should do as a writer is you should know what your rules are. You yeah. and I were just talking yeah. about this the other day. You establish your rules, not in relation to this book, in relation to something else. So yeah, we were talking about earlier today. Him. Oh, it was today. God, today has been so fucking long. <laughs> today has been five years. <laughs> anyway. You establish those rules and then you write your story. If you know what the rules are and you always abide by the rules, your readers are going to figure out the rules as your characters yeah. are able to do things and not do things. And yeah. that's it. You shouldn't explain the rules within your story. Yeah. But you should know what the rules are so that you're not breaking your own rules. Yeah. Um, I still think he does it to a level that not a lot of people can achieve. Mm. Um, 
but mostly because every concept he has, I've noticed, is such a grand. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a microverse that he's looking at. Whatever concept he's looking at, he is looking at it in the, the macro universe. sense, like entirety beyond what we consider a universe. Yeah. Um. And, and I've yet, noticed that with all of his books. And yet every story is very simple. Yes. And contained. It, it It's telling just this. It, it, it's just like good. O- is it good omens? Yeah. Where a child is born and he is the Antichrist and he is the end of the world. <laughs> and it's just this kid that's running around in the woods in England and he's playing war games. And it's just like, um, that's not a good thing. You shouldn't have the Antichrist out playing war games because... He's going to end the world. And meanwhile, you've got a demon and an angel just trying to make it all not happen. Yeah. I love good omens. It's so good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, what else? What else? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, so this is more of a story, not necessarily about this. But so I read my my copy of it while I was at the library. And I have young adults. I don't know if she was a teen. I don't know if she was a little bit older than that. Um, and she looks at me and she goes, are you reading Neil Gaiman? And I go, yeah. And she goes, which one? And so I hold it up. And she goes, oh, that one's so great. It's so visual. And I went, oh yeah, it's really cool. My copy has illustrations. She goes, oh my God, there's an illustrated version that has to make it even better. <laughs> I was looking at the pictures. Those are some amazing. Yeah. Who did the artwork? Uh, and I'm going to say this wrong. Elias Hurst. She is Australian. Hmm. Um, and she says, cause it says, let me see here. What's her name? It's E-L-I-S-E. Elise? Is it Elise? Elise? Okay. I, just... <laughs> I love that little snort. <laughs> I can't do names. Quit pointing it out. <laughs> Is a writer, illustrator, and fine artist based in Melbourne, Australia, raised on a diet of impressionism, apocalyptic lithography, and Enid, Enid Whiten. It was inevitable that she would illustrate this book. <laughs> but so, yeah, if you if you if you want to collect books, the drawings in this are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, go for the illustrated version. I mean, the drawings are nice, oh. but I mean they're really cool. Okay, and they're a great interpretation. But I do prefer going through the book and just creating the images myself based off the descriptions. What I, I feel like, like looking at that would kind of limit where my mind went. I saw these down. I thought these images displayed what he wrote so well that I don't know because I didn't actually read this version I read my electronic version yeah so I didn't have pictures yeah I didn't have pictures either. but when I look when I opened that up to look at it because I I have a copy it's yeah. in my bookshelf I haven't cracked it open because I was waiting for this and I was going to read the hard copy I don't have time for hard copies <laughs> um every image I saw in there reinforced what I developed well, in my head so I thought they were really well done and, and like I was just saying, but I understand me, what you're saying as far as, yeah. I mean, like they're cool to look visuals. at afterwards, but yeah, yeah when I'm yeah. first going through the story, I want to just explore myself, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So what I liked is it slowed me down because on some pages, there's no more than two paragraphs. And so when I got to those pages where it only has like two, three paragraphs, it made me really stop and think because that is a very intentional design. This image of Ursula, I thought, was <laughs> phenomenally done because she's literally described the image. as a canvas tent. And that <laughs> describes her. I don't know why you handed it back to me. Well, I mean, you <laughs> said you couldn't see it because, so. I think she meant I mean, that the listeners could Oh, see oh it. Man, we're having a conversation. <laughs> anyway, in the very inside of the book, not that I'm telling you about by the book, there is a fantastic image yeah. that. The artist did a fantastic job representing. Yeah. But what I was saying before that was that there are certain pages where it's very clear that not only was the art designed, but there is clear intent behind the format with the art to slow you down, really emphasize it plays with light images and dark images because some pages are pitch black and the words are light, white. Um, so it became very visual and it was like a kind of nice combo between something that's like a graphic art style with the Sandman's versus a straight up novel. Um, so I liked it with the illustrations. I actually, I got to the end of it. I was like, oh, I wonder if these guys are missing out because they are reading the illustrated version. <laughs> no, I really liked the experience I had without, yeah. the, um, without the pictures. But yeah, I can see how that would definitely 
um, amplify, boost, whatever. Yeah. Enhance. Enhance. That is the synonym I was looking for. Um, <laughs> also, the paper on that book is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It really smells nice. Thick too, and so it's, it's get a, really a good gloss and yeah. Physical experience if you. Yes. Cash, you know. Okay, so who do you think died? Who Whose funeral was he attending? Oh, I well, think probably his parents. Fathers. Or fathers, or yeah. That's who I assumed it was. Particularly because in the end, they talk about the fact that he comes back pretty regularly, but different things draw him back. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if there are actually more memories with the Hempstocks. Maybe not necessarily Letty, but more memories with the Hempstocks. And he has to go back and process certain experiences that are linked to key people in his life. It could be. And so I took it as the impression that the funeral was likely his father's and this was his core memory of his father that he no longer remembers. That is an unfortunate core memory. It is. It is. But there's clearly like a struggle for him with his father. They didn't see eye to eye. And then he possibly, his father was possibly willingly cheating on his mother. Um... You know, he experienced death for the okay, first so time. Okay, so Ursula provides that which is desired. Is desired the most by each individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so the father, because he had an affair with Ursula. Yeah. Clearly decided or desired something that was... Risky or, risky. or yeah. maybe he just wanted more physical contact with the person and he and his wife had a falling out. We don't know because obviously we're it, limited to not, the, Yeah, it's not covered. It, I got I kind of got the impression that the mother was was pretty reserved and pretty pretty removed. Yeah, from and I think she wasn't there that often. No. Like well, she was at work or something. Yeah, the implication so. was because they lost money, she was working more, yeah, so she so, wasn't there as often. Yeah. Um so it could be he just was craving intimacy and so yeah. he maybe Maybe yeah, he, he wouldn't have cheated, but Ursula made it too tempting to not cheat. That maybe he actually just wanted that from his wife. But again, we don't know because our limited point of view is that of a child. Right, right. Who wouldn't okay. know the nuances of that. So so since we don't have a lot to talk about, in the end of my book, there's actually a reading group guide oh, okay. that asks questions. So the first one is, is, it would be easy to think of the Henstocks as the triple goddess, the, the maiden, the mother, and the crone of popular myth popular mythology in what ways do they conform to those <laughs> is he doing that because you're in here or does he see like outside he, also, he can't see out the back they also might be hungry come on oh, oh, I, oh did you stop yeah go ahead in what ways do they conform to those roles in what ways are they different I'm not familiar enough with those rules to know. She though Amber knows the mother yeah. and the crone really well. So they do a pretty good job of splitting innocence and perspective in terms of what their responsibilities are. Um, obviously, the oldest hemstock has the knowledge. The mother is the nurturer. Nurturer, and the maiden is the one who challenges and explores and does things a bit differently than does the other two do. Differently, um, while struggling to not under, while struggling to not have the knowledge that they had, which is very clear with Letty when she should have known better not to take him, but was still tempted by it because she didn't have that knowledge. And they level. let him take her, let her take him. Yeah, but they, they, they had to have known the potential of what was going to happen, and yet they said, "Well, if that's the decision Letty's going to make, yeah, we're not going to stop it." Um, in terms of the, I think the only thing that really like didn't fall into it is the fact that we didn't get Letty at the end. Yeah. Um, because if it was actually following the maiden, the mother and the crone, it should have been cyclical. And we actually should have been Letty who was sitting there waiting for him, not the mother. Um, because then the cycle would have been starting all over again. So. Okay. So the next question, I think I already kind of asked. Um, because I thought of it. Okay, no, it's not the same question. Um, so the next question is, the narrator has returned to his hometown for a funeral. We never learned whose. Do you think that framing his childhood story with a funeral gives the story a pessimistic outlook rather than an optimistic one? I didn't really get a pessimistic hmm. outlook from it. I... It's just like a chapter closing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's either, honestly. Um, and mostly because I 
think it's just about getting a little bit older, gaining a little bit more knowledge, because it correlates back to the fact that what kind of sent him on this spiral is he came across a dead body in his family car. Yeah. Um, and not just any dead body. It ended up being someone that he had briefly interacted with, whether that positive or negative. Um, and that that ages you to have that kind of experience. Um, so I think it was just kind of that how that kind of knowledge could affect you. And a funeral is going to trigger that. You're going to remember your first experience with death every time you come across death. So from my perspective, I don't view death as a negative thing. It's mm -hmm. like you were saying, cyclical. It's just what you're doing in life. You, you People are born, they live, they die. Sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower, sometimes it takes longer. Um, so I just don't, I don't view. So no, there's no, to me, it's not a pessimistic, pessimistic story just because mm -hmm when the story began and when it ended, somebody had died and he yeah. was there for a funeral. Yeah. Um, he had died. Mm -hmm. Whether he remembered it or not, he yeah. died. So, you know, it's, it's, I didn't see it as pessimism at all. Yeah. I suppose the opening, it kind of opens it as melancholy. Yeah. Would be one. Um, yeah. I thought it was a sense of like, longing. Pause. Oh. <laughs> all right. I got interrupted again. <laughs> Do we have another question? Yeah. It says, because the narrator is male and most of the other characters are female, this story has the potential to become a stereotypical narrative in which a male character saves the day. How does the story avoid that pitfall? He doesn't save the day. No, he's talking about how stereotypically it's going to be the male that, yeah. that does everything. Well, the how male is, is the maiden in distress the whole time. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It, it, well, I think I, it does a really good job of avoiding that. And I think because you have a ch male child, yeah. the expectations of society haven't really fallen onto the child yet. So we don't have to adhere to these societal norms as to how he should function. Instead, we get to just explore it as a child in need of female protection. Well, and I think we stepped out of this being a typical male. Anyway, so I don't, to go back to what we were saying, because we took a break again, but anyway, I don't think that this child was represented as, as, as a typical male child. He yeah. was, while he was athletic, he was still climbing trees. He was still out getting dirty in, in the dirt and, mm -hmm. and doing that thing. He was also a complete bookworm and um, quiet, quiet, non-confrontational, um, oh, exceedingly non-confrontational. Wow. I wanted that boy to stand up for himself. <laughs> I wanted him to beat the crap out of his sister badly, but yeah. That but that happen. was a way to avoid the pitfalls. The yeah. pitfalls. Yeah. Any thoughts, Sarah? You thought I've gotten quiet as we've been answering these. <laughs> I no. already spoke on this question. Yeah. Okay. How many Next more are there? Um, there are several. 15. Let's do like three more. I like this one. Okay. Jenny Hemstock. So that's the, that's the mother. mother. Tells the narrator. So the boy. But when he's. No, when he's a child. you do, That you do not pass or fail at being. She a tells him when he's an adult. Is it? Because he asked if he passed because she said that he oh, was okay. coming back. So she uh, tells the narrator that you don't pass or fail at being a person. Although Letty draws the narrator back to the pond so she can see. If her sa sacrifice was worthwhile, because Letty keeps drawing yeah. back. So, do you think? Do you think it was worthwhile? Sorry, I'm trying to follow the questions. How has the narrator grown as a person? So, was his sacrifice was all Letty's, of their sac Letty's yeah. sacrifice worthwhile? I don't know that I have an informed opinion on this question. We don't know the narrator as an adult. And his life, for, but that's like not the point. The point right. is that he gets to live because she sacrificed yeah. herself. So I think that it's <laughs> really Danny. That's what you think. <laughs> yeah. So I think that one of the strongest components of this book was it goes through all of this, and this boy keeps allowing things to happen mm -hmm. around him to him. And then he finally gets to where he realizes, and this is one of the things that Gaiman does in this story really, really well, and is that there were dire straits in this story. Mm -hmm. 
the universe was going to go away. Mm-hmm. The the um, creatures, the the, yeah, the, the shadow creatures, yeah. were literally chewing away and eating away components. Hunger birds. Yeah, yeah, the hunger birds. They were eating components of the universe. And this was true dire straits. It's something that you don't, when you watch all of these superhero movies and all of this stuff, the dire straits never really seem real. Um, in this book, it does it really well. Uh, and the child finally gets to the point where he realizes if I don't stand up and actually take action, mm-hmm. finally, the universe is going to end. Yeah. They want me and I'm the solution. So I'm going to sacrifice him. And he takes off running. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get it described in detail how all of a sudden Letty goes, no, wait a minute. I don't want him to die. Yeah. So he sacrifices himself. The 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 crone snips away that part of his existence and mm-hmm. removes it. So he doesn't remember that his heart was ripped out. Yeah. Letty couldn't. Except could, he kind of remembers it. He kind of like in a dream like way. Yeah. yeah. But Letty couldn't stand to hear his screams. She yeah. couldn't stand to hear him suffer to that extent. Yeah. So then she goes and throws herself over the top of him and the creatures destroy him. And that's when the crone and the mother go, oh, yeah. no, no, no. We have to step in. Yeah. You don't get to destroy her. She's she's part of this trio. Yeah. This trio must exist. Yeah. Um, and then I loved at the end when, the, when Granny was like, now put it all back. You yeah. ate the tree, put it back. You ate this, put it back. You, yeah. <laughs> you don't get to just go back to your little universe after after having eaten things. Put but it back. Put it back. You don't you don't get to do that. But she but the granny granny could have stopped all of this from the very beginning. She could have stopped Letty from taking um the boy with, with yeah. her. She could have stopped, you know, she could have stopped it, but she allowed everyone to make their mistakes and she allowed everyone to explore and that's because it's important to make mistakes yeah that's how you learn yeah but anyway so yeah i love this book clearly yes i can tell <laughs> clearly loved it so i thought the sacrifice was worth it i did i mean considering how annoyed i usually get when characters go around sacrificing themselves it didn't even like register as being like a a cop-out or anything like that right. it was like no this is a completely rational and it's like the only choice that makes sense and mm-hmm. like so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no issue with it whatsoever. Well, plus we we got the build. This child took a long time before he got to the point where he was like, well, he was pranced in there all night. <laughs> yeah, but he never gave in to their... I know, but like that's a long time to get to the point where you finally realize, oh, I've got to... Yeah, I've got to step up. Yeah. But he's a ch- he's six or seven. Where, yeah. You know, he's Only in a fear of the dark. Like, yeah. like, like it was like, I felt so bad for him being there. He had a fear of night. the dark. He had a fear of his father. He, you know, there's, he had a, he had a fear of Ursula. There was a lot of fear in this. But yeah. he's six or yeah. seven. He's, yeah. he's a baby. But yeah, I thought it was, um, it was a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good book. Okay. One more question. Um, One of the many motivators for the characters in this story is loneliness. <laughs> Which characters see, seem to suffer from loneliness? How do adults, adults and children respond to loneliness in different ways or in the same ways? So I think Ursula suffered the most when it comes to loneliness. I think every character suffered from loneliness, except but for the, the most. Yeah, well, you know. Which characters seem to suffer from loneliness was the first question. Oh, okay. Actually, the most is never said. In oh, this. okay. I thought I heard the <laughs> you most. heard the most. I, yeah, most too. Yeah, yeah that's no. weird. Uh, but yeah, I thought um, honestly, I thought Ursula was the the loneliest. Um, she was so desperate to give people what they wanted in order to have a reason and she to go exist. Home. She was yeah. stuck in that place with the orange sky. Yeah, she couldn't actually get all the way back home to where yeah. she came from. Yeah, she was all on her own out there. And she was going to do anything people wanted from her in order to appease them. Yep. And then at the same time was was bitter and mean and and she only liked you if you liked her. I mean, yeah. that, that sounds like the loneliest person on the planet. Well, and if, if she had just drew back just a little bit, she could have lived in this universe and made everybody happy. But she yeah. had to consume yeah. as much as she had to give and... Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like the whole, you know, he wanted money. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the narrator, the boy wanted money. 
and he gets it, but it's it's lodged in his throat and, and he's choking on it. Um, but I think, I mean, if you broke down, the father was lonely because he mm-hmm. wanted physical intimacy. The mother was lonely because she wanted notoriety in the world of some sort. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be successful. Or stable. Or stable. The sister was lonely because she was desperate for Ursula's love and attention. The narrator was lonely because he was not able to fulfill what his father wanted. Yeah. As a boy, he wasn't that boy. Letty Um, was lonely. Letty was lonely because she was, you know, learning in life still. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I I even feel like the opal miner was lonely. Mm -hmm. I don't think we got a lot with him, but uh, it's like... Every character was lonely. Yep. Um, Alrighty. Anyway. So, do you have our ratings? What's our first one? Uh, how exciting. Okay. So, Kim, how exciting did you find this book? Five. Five. Okay. Sarah, how exciting did you find this book? So, exciting, I would actually give it, like, maybe a three and a half. Okay. I didn't find it, like... But, like, engaging and enthralling, I would mm-hmm. give it a five. Okay. So, like, not action-y, but... So, like, not necessarily... You start reading it and... Exciting isn't the right yeah, word like to describe like that. Yeah, like, not, excitement, but... Well, I thought the I, scenes when he was in the middle of the fairy circle, I thought that was really exciting. I mean, I was extremely engaged. Like, I didn't yeah, want to stop yeah. reading. But, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't get the same, like, thrill or whatever that yeah. I normally get... Okay. More action-packed sequence. Yeah, I think I'm like the same. Where I was probably at a four. Like I was enjoying reading it. I didn't mind slowing down and taking my time to read it, and I didn't feel a push to like. There wasn't that sense of I need to know what happens now. Or sometimes you get to that point where you're maybe not reading every single word, and you're you know reading a little quicker because you got to know who's gonna say what or do what, and, and you know, uh, I never had experienced that at any point where I was missing things because I was trying to speed up in excitement. What's our next one? Ease of reading. And how easy did you find it? A five. A five. Okay. Kim? Five. I would give it more than a five. Because like I said, you can't give it more than a five. I can because it's probably one of the best written books I've ever read in my life. It it is well written. Like I said, he does similes on a level that... Not pretentious, not cumbersome. No. But he'll give you three similes of the same thing. So just in case this one didn't work for you, this one might work for you, or this one. And then you put them together and you're like, oh. I like how he talked, well, this wasn't really a simile, but I like how he talked about the hole in the foot. Yeah. And at one point he called it like a worm hole. And I was like, oh yeah, like a worm hole. Uh, It makes so much sense. Yep. Um, Yeah. Yeah. it was ease of reading, right? I was yeah. like, well, where did this start from? I'm, I'm really tired. Um, yeah, I, I would give it a five. It's not, the language isn't difficult. It isn't a long story. It's not tedious. Um, I can see where some people might find, because I know a story within a story is one of those harder concepts for some people. That might throw people off a little bit. Um I, I think this one is done But it's well pretty simple. You're not yeah, Because the, the story... That is going to the funeral really isn't. Well, that's those how yeah. this works. You have your yeah. bookends at the beginning and yeah. the end, yeah. um, and then you have your actual story bookended by these moments to uh, correlate. Um, but that's not that's not the easy. He does a really good job at it. It's not always the easiest thing for people, right? For some reason, story and within I, a story. I think as far as ease of reading. Um, cause I, have I, I don't think I've done these. Reading. You did. did. I, did. I always do it last. <laughs> okay. So I'll go back to some people might find the concept of he, that he's actually drawn back to mm-hmm. the water and because he's drawn back to Letty, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not laid out in yeah. plain, simple terms that he has to be there that, and yeah. that he has gone back Yeah. many times that he doesn't remember. Yeah. Um, I do love it when he's on the, on the, on the porch and the transition of him knowing what's going on to him forgetting forgetting yeah. as he's speaking that yeah. was so well done anyway i'm very familiar with that sensation <laughs> <laughs> okay and then what's our next one emotional reaction okay so cam what was five i love this book <laughs> we don't have an hour of you doing that you need to give me five more minutes of you telling me how much you love this <gasps> book in order for us to really truly believe that solid five I don't know. That was sarcasm. I could. I know I you could. could talk about it more. <laughs> um, Sarah. I gave it a five. Okay. I think. So 
I think it's a four for me. I'm gonna hit you with something. I think she's dead inside. I think she is dead inside, Ursula. No, no. And the only reason why is just because, like, I have other books by Neil Gaiman that I love so much. Like, I like, I like this one. I enjoy this one. It is one I can go back to. I can't say it is my utmost favorite Gaiman. You can give multiple fives to different I was going to say, a, a writer can have more than one great yes, book. Yes, I know. But not very many do. So on the Gaiman scale, it's a four. It's a yes! Other books. <laughs> we could pick it's other five. books, it would probably be a five. But on the Gaiman okay, scale, so it is a four. Okay, so what is your no, number one five Gaiman oh. book? Sandman, since I technically have it tattooed on my body. Um, and It's so funny. You have tried to get me to read. And, and I want to read it. I want to engage in these characters so much. I can't get past the beginning of that. It's really the, the graphic novel part can be really hard and it's not an easy graphic novel read. Yeah, some of those panels are pretty wacky with how they yeah. put the text. Um, I actually on. was recently, I saw an article where someone was discussing the fact that um, when it comes to graphic novels, it's actually probably the ideal way for us as humans to read because we are such visual people that it's actually probably the best Graphic novels being the best. The not, best way not to read, yes, yeah. Not but, but reading graphic novels is actually probably the best, easiest way to get people to engage in reading. However, because our culture does not emphasize it, um, it requires you to train yourself to read it. And so you actually have to start out with very particular types of graphic novels so that you get the flow and the feel so that you can then take on more challenging ones. Um, so I get it. Gaiman is not, Sandman is not easy. You are dealing with some intense concepts. You're dealing with the cyclical stuff. You then have an art style that is shifting and changing and playing around with the page layout. Like it's not easy, but it's one of my favorites. However, at the same time, I also love Neverwhere and I love uh, Coraline in the Graveyard Book. Um, plus, you know, there's um, unfortunately The Milk. It's a kid's book, but it is freaking hilarious because it is this dad telling these kids um everything that happened while he tried to go get the milk and it's absurd like he's in ends up in a hot air balloon there are pirates there are everything so (laughs) this in terms of like things that i'd be like oh my god i need to read that again will i read this again probably is it like if someone were to give me a book shelf of gaming and the world is like you need to pick your top three that that's all you ever get to read again this wouldn't necessarily be my, I must return to this read. So that's where it's like a four for me. And, and but it's on a game and scale, completely and utterly. <laughs> There's a scale that's outside every other scale called the game and scale. We have to just, I mean, I we said have to do that for every book now. It's like, well, on the game and scale, this is like a one. <laughs> oh Lord. Nine tenths of our books this would be, be a one, one on the game and scale. <laughs> this is a point um, five. But I've said this before that I, when I'm, Scaling a book, I'm thinking about what it's comparable to within its parameters, not overall, because it's so hard. It's like trying to compare a zebra with a cougar. It's just a cougar. It's obviously going to be better. <laughs> obviously. I was like, how is that hard? I mean, zebras are cool, but... I said compare, not not pick, guys. Um, <laughs> the level of things that you would not be able to compare there, I think a lot of times people, like, when they grade their or pick their books, they, they don't think about it within the context of what it actually fits. It's just in general. So, the yeah. game and scale, this is a four. <laughs> However, with that said, my overall rating is a five star. It, it's a five star book. Yeah. Sarah? Yeah, I give it five stars. Kim? Two. Yeah, totally called it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't give it Obviously, one. it's a five star. It's yeah. a great book. I think it's a book that people should take some time and read to their children. Even though it's high-end concepts, I yeah. think children should hear. I think he has other his... books that are better for that, um, honestly. but Yeah, but none of them are easy. It, it's not no. like Coraline doesn't tell a scary story. Oh, no. Coraline tells a scary story. Graveyard book is is a scary jungle book. <laughs> um Oh, it's really good. We could read it at some point. Um, yeah, since apparently we're all picking books. Yeah, <laughs> so you can leave it on here. She says, this is such. news to me. <laughs> we discussed this like four months ago. No, but not with me. 
Yes, I told you to start having a list. Our, one of our side you told me to have a list. You didn't say why. Yeah, I did. No, you were just like. I think I used to have it on recording that that you we did discuss this. You didn't say that we'd definitely be doing. Yeah, books. I said once once we got done with our current list, it was implied that they would be suggestions. So I didn't collect them because I knew they'd be rejected. No, I said we oh, have to. We don't get to reject. Yeah, that's part of the process. This here. is going to be torture get, for me. <laughs> it's going to be torture for that me. I don't know any new books. I don't know any new books. They're all old. Do they have to be new books? No. No? There's hesitation. It just has to be a popular book. and But popular within its genre, not necessarily like... But what would you define as popular? I will be looking at the Goodreads ratings. So I will be looking... for muster. <laughs> I'm not even going to bother. No, it's not necessarily we it. We can just have blank we sessions. Have, can we not do this on recording? <laughs> <laughs> but it's enjoyable on recording. All right. D- going back to um, the, ocean the ocean at the end of the lane. lane. I almost called it the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I almost called it the graveyard apartment. Um, <laughs> uh, so, any last words you guys want to add on this one? Now that we do quotes. Oh, okay. I, I didn't have oh, a quote. Do you have a quote? I mean, I think yeah, that... Yeah, go, go, go. There's, I don't know. I don't know. Well, one of them we already did, which is the, um, the where, where she says you don't pass or fail at being a person. Okay. I like that uh, particular statement. Um, There was another one that I didn't write down because it was mm-hmm. long and I didn't want to write it. <laughs> but I really like the concept where she was... I think it was Letty mm-hmm. was describing reality to the boy and mm-hmm. how it was like the frosting on top of like this dark cake of horrors almost. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting way of describing it. Um, <laughs> and it kind of made sense for the yeah. world that they were in. Um, but the two quotes I actually wrote down, some just reminded me of recent events. It said, small children believe themselves to be gods, or at least some of them do, and they can only be satisfied when the rest of the world uh, goes along with their way of seeing things. I wouldn't necessarily apply that to children <laughs> in recent events, but I was like, oh, this I reminds me of some one too. people I yeah, remember. Some world events yeah. going on. Some uh, not popular, famous, powerful beings. Individuals. <laughs> um, March the month of Ukraine problems, because this <laughs> yeah. will be now the second time it's come up in one of our podcasts this month. Well, also... Even just referring to a previous unfortunate president. Oh, yes. Former guy. Took four years to terminate. Oh, see, I was totally thinking the current... Oh, no. I was thinking that, too. okay. But it also works just as well. Yes. Uh, The other one I had was, um, grown-ups don't look like grown-ups on the inside either. Outside, they're big and thoughtless, and they always know what they're doing. Inside, they look like they always have... Like they... I'm sorry, my reading... My writing is terrible. Like they did when they were your age. The truth is there aren't any grown-ups, not one in the whole wide world. I felt that yeah. deep in my bones <laughs> I like, when I read that. I was supposed to know what was happening <laughs> by this age, but I don't. I was supposed to be an adult by now, and I don't have feel all the like one. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that or no? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I think my mother feels that way now, but her brain's regressed to actually being a toddler again. So, you know, it, it's, I think that's just. Everyone's just pre- running around pretending we know we how to be an adult. Yep. And, and it's a societal construct, this whole adulthood thing. It, it doesn't yeah. actually exist. Nobody knows what they're doing. There's yep. just pre, I was going to say pre-sex, post-sex. But However. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think know that's a phrase in this story. Pre-pubescent and pubescent. There we go. Thank you. I think that's that's a horrifying word. term for it. <laughs> well, I felt bad because like I'm like, I know people who have made choices that I'm like, that like implies that they are like lesser than, but that's not the case. That wasn't what I was trying to say with that. I just couldn't think of pubescent. So I'm just thinking. <laughs> Post being able to be sexual and pre being able to be sexual. So, <laughs> go ahead. You're okay. Quote. So, just because it's what came up when I opened up the book um, and I did my notes, it, talking about the similes that I keep going over and over mm-hmm. and over again because my God, it was just like, yes, this is how a simile is written. <laughs> um, 
it starts out, well, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph, but anyway, my eyes had become too used to the darkness and I could not look at her face to see it if it was the face I was familiar with. It was too bright. Magnesium flare bright. Fireworks night bright. Midday sun reflecting off a silver coin bright. I thought that was... Yeah. Yeah, you get total visual. <laughs> yeah. If you don't understand one, like the magnesium, people may not know how bright that is. It's like, okay, well, fireworks. And it's like, oh, but you know, not everyone gets experienced to fireworks or finds them to be bright. Or you don't do them close up to yeah. where it's going to have that flash. Right? So it's like, oh, okay, well, like all of us have walked across and found, had a, you know, coin flick light in our eyes. And you're like... <laughs> Or all Why? three, and you realize, wow, this is she's right. she's bright, and yeah. he's having a hard time looking at her. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, alrighty. So on that note, now that we have gushed about this book, argued about what is going on forward, and all of that, some jazz, behind the scenes fun. <laughs> are um, and remember, if you were curious about being able to try that recipe, it's available through our Patreon. Butter we, your pans. Ugh. Butter your pants. That didn't work either. Um, <laughs> and we also now have a sticker available through Patreon only at this point. Um, so if you would like to embrace your chaotic energy, then you just need to subscribe for three months and you will be sent a sticker. So, yeah, Danny, you can have a sticker too. Well, if she subscribes for three months... I think she is a cat and I just could give her a sticker. Our intro and outro music is by Grant Newman and is called The Battle of the Nile from Epidemic Sound. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Bookpile Banter on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, or whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you on any of our social media platforms, such as Instagram or TikTok. You can find us at book underscore pile underscore banter. You can also email us at bookpilebanter at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You tell them, Daniel.